The New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center, in partnership with Investors Bank and RWJ Barnabas Health, have launched the Donate a Plate, a virtual fundraiser benefiting Newark Working Kitchens. The initiative's beneficiary enlists local restaurants to deliver nutritious meals to vulnerable populations across Newark. Fans are encouraged to donate meals with the top fundraisers receiving a premium seating experience at a future Devils home game. You can donate now at NewJerseyDevils.com slash donate a plate. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, along with my good friend and colleague, Amanda Stein, as we welcome you to the latest edition of Speak of the Devils, our podcast that has met with so much success and so much enjoyment, I know for me, and I'm sure for you, Amanda, to do. And I think uh, we're going to get a lot, a lot of memories shared today by our guest, Jamie Langenbrunner. Absolutely. I mean, it's been so fun for me. And I mean, I know for you too, Maddie, just that we've been able to keep up these conversations. And, you know, throughout the last five months or so, we've been able to produce and talk to some people that maybe had the season been going on or whatnot, if things were a little bit more normal in our world, we wouldn't have had access to, but we've been able to reach out to a lot of people, whether it's current or alumni, which we'll have today. Um, and everyone seems really keen to talk. And I think that's just because it, it gives a little sense of normalcy, especially when you're discussing, you know, things that have gone on in the past that were pretty normal. Yeah, no doubt. And I think also for our guests and Jamie will be our guest on, on this show, it gives them a chance to talk about a moment in their life when they were at the top of their game, both individually and from a team standpoint. And as time goes on, those memories grow warmer. And I also think that what happens as time goes on, and we found this with a bunch of our guests, they're willing to open up a little bit more. They get away from that nuclelouche, just give 110%, nose to the grindstone, get it in, get it out, go hard to the corners. You know, they, they do give us some nice insight and details about things that we thought we knew, but maybe a little bit of better sense of what actually happened. Well, you know, hockey players are just so programmed to say all those things that you've just previously mentioned, which I won't go through the 110% and all of that. But, you know, I think there's also a reason for that. It's a lot of self-preservation at the same time, not wanting to be, you know, a lightning rod if maybe you're sharing too much of how you really feel. So you're right. When, you know, you're distant from the game, when you don't have to worry about those things, you can really share some some inner thoughts that you had at those times. And I know that our guest, Jamie Langenbrenner, coming up, he's going to do just that for us. And a man who's still involved in the game with the Boston Bruins. But I remember when he was acquired from Dallas along with Joe Newendike, and it it was an eye-opener. There's no question about mm. it. Lou Lamorello, you, you should never be surprised by anything that he does. If you look at his history, whether it's firing coaches late in the season or making trades, letting guys play out their contract, He's always got his eye on the prize, and he's not afraid to upset the apple cart, and he won't play his hand too long. But when you realize the players that he traded were such an integral part of the Devils' history, Jason Arnott and Randy McKay, and then he brings in two players, Mm -hmm. one of whom had established himself into what was eventually a Hall of Fame career, Joe Neuendijk, and one, Jamie, who was really in the infancy of his career but brought an intensity that the Devils always had but maybe needed a little bit more of, uh, it still was like, wow, uh, this is great. This is sad. 
this could help. Who knows where it's going to go? And it did take a while for it to work out for the Devils, but eventually they got that third cup. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, my experience of seeing that Lagenbrenner, you know, name right across from shoulder to shoulder on a jersey came for me when the Devils would come to Montreal and play against the Montreal Canadiens, the team that I grew up cheering for and, you know, going to pretty much any game I could and just remembering seeing that name, how much damage he was able to do in any facet of the game, whether it's putting points on the board, being strong along the boards, you know, all all those things. That's how I remember Jamie Langenbrenner. And for me, I don't remember him as a Dallas star, to be quite frank. I mean, given my age and just like where things were at. So for me, he was the quintessential New Jersey devil, um, along with a player like Zach Parise. Yeah, they were. I'm not sure which one it is anymore. (laughs) That moved back and forth for so many (laughs) years. It's unbelievable. But Zach and Travis Zajac and Jamie formed a great line. And certainly we will bring that up with Jamie. But what what Langenbrenner to me was about was all business. Mm -hmm. Now, I've gotten to know him over, over the years and there is a softer side to him. But boy, he didn't suffer fools gladly on the ice. He didn't really suffer fools gladly in the dressing room either. I mean, if you didn't come prepared with the right question, or you didn't think through what you were asking him, if you brought the media version of Nuclear Lucian, so what happened out there? You know, you weren't going to get about right that one. Talk to me about. Yeah, I mean, he would give you a shorter answer. I mean, he was always available, but but if you if you. But once you realize that, hey, he was serious about everything about this game and you came at it with the same seriousness, you had a home run or a hat trick. Yeah, or a hat trick, right. Do you have a favorite Langenbrenner story? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I do remember later in his career, I want to say it was the 09 playoffs, later, later in his time with the Devils. He had missed a practice and he was very closed mouth when it came to injuries and, you know, team things. So anyway, so I'm over by his locker and he had missed a practice, but he was going to be in that night's game. So I was like, uh, hey, like uh, just a a day of rest. And I guess at that point he knew me enough and trusted me enough. So he kind of gave that look and he kind of looked around (laughs) the dressing room. Who else is nearby? And he directed me to the outside of his knee. I want to say it was his left knee. It might have been his right. Right. And he had had an incision or inside. Oh, wow. his, and he had undergone arthroscopic surgery the day before. <laughs> but crazy. it was it was good enough for him to get back into the lineup that night. So maybe he just had something cleaned up. Maybe it wasn't. But he kind of looked and there was a little mark and he's like, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> but anyway, I like, wow, that's a tough guy. It yeah. didn't matter. He was he was going to play that night. Um. That, that is a tough guy. I mean, I like guys like that. I like guys who are all business all the time. And I do want to ask, I know I'm going to throw you a little off topic here, but before we get to Jamie is, how have you been liking this 24 team format and what's been going on recently? I've enjoyed it a lot, right? It's wall to wall coverage. Unfortunately, as we record this, there's been a power outage in my neighborhood, in my town, and we've been without power for a couple of days. But I found a way to listen online. I do miss the crowds. I'm not going to lie. I do miss the crowds. Steve Mayer and his group at the NHL have done a magnificent job of recreating an atmosphere. It's some of the things I like, like uh, you know, zero attendance, yeah. zero. Uh, and they had one last night. Slowly about, getting uh, off your couch. Be careful. 
your couch, right? Yeah, yeah. So they've done a good job with it. The announcers have been on point. For those who are not on site, you really can't tell. Yeah. So it's all worked rather seamlessly. But I do miss, I do miss the crowd. I think that is a huge element. Uh, but I'd rather see hockey without fans than no hockey at all. So this is what we're dealt with. I'm not really complaining. It's just an element that I am missing. Do you feel that you noticed that the fans aren't there? Because I feel like when the game starts, I'm not really noticing the lack of fans. I'm, you know, the, the hockey is just so good. Yeah, the hockey has been fabulous. Um, no, you know, because the, the crowd noise has been there and they've done a good job of, of bringing it up at the appropriate times. But just that raw, guttural, my team's taking the ice. This is a play-in or playoff game. That's that's kind of missing that roar. That's part of the anticipation. And maybe that's what I'm missing. You know, as you watch some of the pregame stuff, you're not hearing really that crowd in the background, fans starting to fill in, that we're building toward the start of a two, two-and-a-half-hour mm-hmm. run. Uh, so, again, I, I just think I miss the fans more than I thought I would. Uh, it's not as bad as baseball, quite frankly. Baseball just, <laughs> eh, I, you need that. That that game's too <laughs> slow. But I do agree with you. It's been exciting. The hockey's been better than I thought it might be. And there have been some upsets along the way. So that's been fun, too. So on that note, we will bring our guest in, Jamie Langenbrunner, longtime NHL player. What a resume he has. We'll talk about everything from his days with Dallas to the Devils, ending with Dallas and St. Louis, how it ended in New Jersey, the highlights, the cups, the Olympics, so many things you can discuss with a man who had an exemplary career. And on that note, we welcome Jamie Langenbrunner to speak of the Devils. So he had a 20-year career, nine of which he spent with the New Jersey Devils. He totaled 1,109 games through those 20 seasons. A two-time Olympian, including being captain of the 2010 USA squad that took home a silver medal, a two-time Stanley Cup winner, including the 2003 championship as a member of the New Jersey Devils. And now he's the director of player development for the Boston Bruins. Jamie, thank you very much for giving us some time. I know I'm excited to speak with you. We ran into each other last year in Buffalo uh, in in a preseason prospects tournament. Uh, But I know the Devils fans are interested in hearing about you because of your impact uh, during your nine years with the Devils. So catch us up on on what life is like for Jamie Langenbrunner these days. Well, like uh, I'm sure many of us, my life's a little a little odd right now, spending a lot of time at home and uh, getting reconnected with my family, I guess, uh, after you know years of playing and years of being on the road with uh, with my new job. But it's it's been some blessings, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. I got to spend uh, a little more time with my, my daughter after she graduated from college. Uh, my middle child, uh, who's heading off to college, got to spend the summer with him. And then uh, my youngest, who's getting close to stepping on his next journey uh, in, in hockey. So just being a dad here for this stretch and uh, enjoying still being involved in the game there, uh, working with Boston. And what is your role with the Boston Bruins? I mean, I gave the title. What does that mean? Well, I'm director of player development. So I work with our with our prospects, um, both at the, at the minor league level in Providence. Uh, some of the guys that are spending a little bit of time in Boston, the young guys uh, and uh, our interdrafted guys. And then I've also got a little bit of a player personnel um, angle on my job where I'm involved in the trades and the 
in the scouting uh, on the professional level and uh, on the amateur level. So what it means is watching a lot of hockey games. So <laughs> I probably, I think I saw 190 hockey games last year. So, you know, it's, uh, it's watching hockey and uh, given, uh, given my input uh, both to, to my bosses and, and to, uh, to our players uh, and they, they take what, they take what fits and get rid, gets rid of the rest of it. So. <laughs> Thank God you love the game, eh? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I thought I, I thought I didn't, to be honest with you. When, when I was done, I, I didn't think I'd want anything to do with it. Um, I took a year off and then I was on a, uh, on a vacation with, uh, Zach Parisi and Jay Pandolfo and, uh, their wives. And Jay was working for Boston and he, he kind of asked me, you know, you want to, you want to get back in. And, uh, I think we have a spot in Boston and went out there and talked to Donnie and, uh, you know, that was, five years ago and it's kind of been uh it's been a really good fit so I feel very fortunate with that when you say that you weren't sure you wanted to be involved in hockey I mean was that just you know coming to terms with the end of a career like what was that you know mentality like that you weren't sure you wanted to be a part of the game that you've spent your whole life a part of yeah I think it was coming to terms with uh, the end of end of a career that's a good way to put it um you know it was a it was a bit of a frustrating ending. Um, you know, the way it, the way it ended in New Jersey for me was, was tough. And then, you know, like, like any player when, uh, you know, I, I hurt my, I hurt my hip and was basically told that I couldn't play anymore in, in St. Louis there. And it, it was hard. I, I definitely struggled with it. Um, and, you know, thankfully my, my wife and uh, my family and stuff is, you know, really helped me through that and uh, that adjustment into the new, the new phase. And uh, now I feel uh, as happy as I've ever been. And, and I love the game again. So it, it's, uh, it is an adjustment. It is a, you know, a big change in a hockey player's life. And, you know, I know we talk about it often and, but until you go through it, uh, you don't quite, uh, quite understand, uh, you know, that, that rush that is, that is gone and that, uh, you know that that void there so it's uh it was a, it was a big adjustment but like i said i feel i feel really good real and really really blessed to have uh you know the support that i've had for my wife and my family along the way you talk about that rush you know that is suddenly gone but when you're now working in player development and you're seeing you know younger players develop and turn into you know talent that they can be does that offer you like kind of a different type of rush when you see you know the success that you're helping breed yeah it it does I I think um you know I've come to a come to a place where I'm I'm comfortable that you know I kind of said in the beginning if there's something that fits that I'm saying, uh, great. If it doesn't, then it, it, it's not a necessarily reflection of, of who I am or, or whatnot. So I feel, I feel good about it. Um, and you know, I, I think there's nothing better than when, uh, you know, a prospect or a kid calls you out of the blue and, and wants to talk to you about something he's struggling with, whether it's hockey or, or away from the rink. And when, when that happens, then, uh, then I feel like you're really having an impact. I mean, my job the coaches are going to really teach them how to play hockey i'm I'm just going to help them with some of the other stuff you know dealing with some of the some of the struggles you know uh, i mean not that he plays for our team but you know zach had a, a little stretch in his season a few years ago coming off injury and you know him and i talked a lot and uh you know i, I think having those experiences and you know learning from them uh is a benefit and you know i'm glad that uh, you have those type of relationships with guys that they're they're feel 
safe enough to, to call and ask you. There's always been that informal exchange of information, but it's much more formalized now, as you detailed in your role. When did that start to change? And, and do you wish a more formal situation was available to you as you were coming up and establishing your career and then going through that middle phase and finally at the end? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I think it is very, very helpful. And, um, you know, just, you know, as a young kid, uh, I I think it is nice when someone from the organization, uh, you know, if you're off in college or in junior playing and they, they stop in to check on you, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess I had that from a, to a degree, uh, Craig button, I was with Dallas at the time, Craig button and Les Jackson were, were scouts at the time that, that checked up on you. Um, but as far as uh, as a player, you know, I, I think that came from the other players. Again, I was fortunate in in Dallas that a guy by the name of Joe Noondike happened to get traded there right when I came in there, and you know, to me, no greater leader than than, than Joe Noondike, and you know, he kind of assumed that type of a role as a, as a mentor and uh, as someone you could bounce uh, bounce issues off of, and uh, you know, a guy to this day that's one of my best friends. So you know, it's it's those type of it's those type of relationships that uh you know are are what you really enjoy coming out of the game and you know i'm fortunate to see a a lot of uh a lot of those guys and you know still be around a lot of those guys and you know pando's working for the same organization and you know get to spend some time with with these people is is phenomenal you mentioned joe newendike and i know the relationship that you have as you just mentioned is is wonderful and it's deep uh, you come to the Devils together in a trade in 2002. I saw his career from afar for the most part. He was nearing the end when he came to the Devils. And of course, in 2003, you know, the back started to act up on him. And I don't know that we ever saw the, the Devils really saw the real Joe Newendike on the ice, but what a leader he was. So I'm going to circle back to the trade. He had won a Stanley Cup in 99 with Dallas. He had gone to the Stanley Cup final in 2000, losing to the Devils. Did you have any idea this trade was in the offing? Were you shocked? Did you say, nah, uh, this was coming for a year. I could see this coming. Uh, Dallas was going to make a change. No, it, I was I was shocked. Uh, I don't think Joe was shocked. We had signed uh, Pierre Turgeon that summer, and I, I think Joe saw the writing on the wall for him at some point or, or another. But for me, I, I was shocked. Um, you, you said it. We'd been on a a really good run there in Dallas. Uh, we'd, we'd won, we'd lost in a final. We'd been in the conference final the year before we had won. Like we, we were, we were a team that, that was good in a, at a time when the West was, the West was tough. You know, you had Colorado and Detroit were, were good. So, and St. Louis was no joke. So, you know, we, uh, we had a good, good run there and we were having a down year. Hitch got fired. Um, Pop Ganey stepped down. Doug Armstrong comes in and he uh, he had he had met with me and uh, and told me I was one of his guys and wasn't getting traded and a week later I was gone so you know it was something <laughs> it was something that, that really bothered me at the time but you know I've since uh, I I really really respect Doug Armstrong and you know consider him a friend to this day now and you know, I went back and played for him in St Louis at the end of my career but. Uh, you know, it's one of those things in business where, okay, you take some information with uh, with the grain of salt. So, 
<laughs> Did you ever discuss with them like, hey, Doug, maybe not at the moment, but now that time has passed. And as you said, you went back and played with them in St. Louis. Like, so how did this come about? You told me I'm solid and a week later I'm gone. Yeah, he actually uh, he actually told me that uh, he, the movie regrets. Um, you know, he was new in the job. He was trying to put his mark on the team. And, you know, the opportunity came up uh, to uh, to bring in Jason Arnott, who obviously was, uh, was a very good player at that time, younger, bigger centerman. Um, and, you know, I... I he, I want to say he apologized for it. He, it wasn't like that, but you know, he, we, we definitely talked about it before I signed there. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, a credit to him and, you know, what a job he's doing right now in St. Louis, uh, building that team. Uh, I got the firsthand watch some of the, the beginning, uh, the beginnings of it there at the end of my career as they, as they built some of those guys and, you know, brought in the Terrace, Terrace Ankles came in and the Jane Schwartz and, you know, watching Petro grow as players. So, um, you know, they've done a wonderful job there and, uh, you know, they're going to be a, they're going to be a good team for uh, a pretty good stretch here. I think. Was it really only when you went back or when you went to St. Louis that you had that conversation? I've always wondered that, especially when like a GM and a player have a good relationship, but get split up via trade. Like when did that conversation come up and who brought it up? Was it you or him? <laughs> it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was brought up, uh, then, I mean, we'd had, we'd talked in passing, uh, I think, uh, maybe at the Olympics in 2010, maybe at uh, a few other spots we'd kind of run into each other. But you know, when you're on other teams, you, you're not really seeing a, a lot of other guys that often. Um, yeah. and players and GMs, I don't, in general, I don't think talk very often. You know, that's not, <laughs> uh, that's not a normal thing with a, other than talking to your own guy. But um, so, yeah, it was that summer when uh, he was, he was, uh, I'll call me to, to come to St. Louis and uh, see if it was a good fit. And, you know, he brought it up right away and wanted to, you know, clear the air. And we had a great relationship the whole time I was there and uh, a great relationship when, you know, he got to be the one to tell me I was done. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he, you know the way, he, the way he handled it was, was phenomenal. You know, he offered me an opportunity to stay in the organization and work. And I just wasn't at that spot in my head at that time yet to do it. And I needed to get away to... To, to come to that conclusion so but again a guy i i talked to uh, definitely a few times a year just checking in with them and uh, a guy that uh, i definitely respect a lot so as the career uh with the devils you know, yeah, that was a march trade and then the devils don't have a terrific amount of success in 2002 from a devil's standpoint uh but now 2003 becomes a magical year pat burns comes in was it important for you to get through that early stretch in March and kind of work out, I've been traded. I've got this new organization. Was there a new mindset when you came to camp in September? Yeah, there, there definitely was. Um, you know, it's something, something I really believe it, it, it is difficult for guys that, especially guys that had been in a spot for a fair amount of time at the deadline to, to acclimate to their group. And, you know, I, I think we're going into a team in, in New Jersey one that had just beat us in the final two years ago. So there's a, a little bit of a little bit of an uneasy feeling like going into the rink there in South Mountain and have this big freaking picture of them in there with a Stanley Cup in, in our rink was was difficult, I would say, to start. Um, and you had you had a tight group. You know, you, you had taken away two guys in that locker room in, in Randy McKay and, and Jason Arnott that were, were a huge part of that. And, 
you know, you have Patrick Eliash and Peter Sikora, who that was their centerman. That was, that was their boy, you know, and, you know, it, it, Randy McKay and Colin White. And, you know, you have these guys, these, uh, these, these mixes. And so it, it takes a while to adjust. And, uh, you know, I, I think especially for a guy like Joe and, and myself who were, we get integrated into a team, you know, we, we we're not just on the fringe and uh and whatnot we're 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 a part of the whole thing so it it takes a little while to feel comfortable um walking into that situation and you and you have the the veteran group of you know dano and scotty and scotty and you know it was it was a group that had had their way and we had to it was different than the way it was in dallas and and we had to we had to learn to to acclimate and also bring what we found helped us win in Dallas and have that success. Um, uh, I want to say we brought a little more fun to the group, but maybe a little more laid back and a little more, a little more banter where, you know, I'd say the Scotties and the Scotties of the world are, are fantastic leaders in, in their own way, but they're quiet where Joe is more into talking to all the guys and, uh, you know, has builds more of a relationship that way. So it was, it was just a, a blending that took a little bit of time. When did you start to say, uh, we got something going here? I mean, you knew you were entering a good team, but, you know, the, the, they went to the final in 2001. Like I said, changes in 2002 behind the bench, trades, uh, core players moving, two new guys coming in, uh, Pat Burns takes over. Uh, at what point was there a sense that, you know what, the, the mix might be there for a championship? Just on the ice, obviously, you had the talent, but, I mean, it takes more than just talent. Uh, I think it was almost instant in camp, to be honest with you, Maddie. Like, um, I think we won our first four games, maybe coming out of the season, three or four. Uh, I think we were in, I don't remember exactly where we were, but you know, like we were, we were good right from the start. We knew it. Um, we had that, that right mix of, of players, um, and the right mentality. And, you know, I think having, you no. Know, I mean, the group, I mean, almost everybody had won a cup on that team practically. So we knew it was going to be a long haul and, uh, and the journey would be there. But uh, we, we knew we were, we were a contender right from the start, in, in my opinion. When, you're, when you feel that way and you're a hockey player, I mean, that you feel like you're a contender right from the start. How do you, this might sound dumb, but like, how do you approach the season to make sure that, you know, you don't get ahead of yourself? Or is that just like naturally embedded in who you guys are as athletes? Well, I think that's naturally embedded in um, winning organizations of not getting ahead. Um, You know, it, it takes a while to learn that that culture and it's a preparedness that you take to the rink every day and it's not about grinding every day you you know you're having your fun and you're doing your doing your stuff but when you you show up to work you're you're getting your work in and you're you're getting better and you're holding each other accountable and you know I think that's something that both you know when I got to experience with our group and in uh in dallas and then again when i got to new jersey is that's what it was every day in practice you competed hard you showed up at every game expecting to win were you going to no but you gave yourself a chance every day and and i think that's how you you kind of build that winning culture where it's expected um you know we you go through ups and downs in this season but at the end of every night you're you're expecting that you're going to win and you're disappointed when you're not and you know i think that culture you know, stayed with us throughout my time in in New Jersey. Um, you know, 
we talk about the the cup teams as as the pinnacle and that's definitely what we were trying to do but you know looking back on my time in new jersey like from 04 to 2010 we made the playoffs every single year and we lost a lot of good players to either retirement or uh moving on in free agency and you know to keep that consistency and to they weren't able to get her done all the way through the playoffs but you know i i think that consistency with what the the lineups we were putting out there at times you know seasons where marty rodor misses half the year and we still yep. make the the stanley cup or make the playoffs you know with a goaltender by the name of scott clemens and you know i don't think any any of uh, the people in maddie's position were believing that was going to be a possibility so you know i i think <laughs> i think that's the culture i speak of where it's you know kind of the sum of the parts and you know you see lou continuing to to bring that mentality to uh to the island right now you had an unbelievable playoff run in 2003 both personally and the team but i want to talk about personal you led the league in scoring you got out of the gate quickly in that boston series and you just continue to pile up the points um and as the playoffs wound on, and obviously the series against Ottawa, your backs were against the wall. Joe gets hurt, so now you're adjusting. Mike Rupp comes in. You wind up playing with him against Anaheim, and he only scores the game-winning goal. My point is, what's it like for a player to be on that kind of a role? Just, it looked like from this position, nothing could go wrong. Just everything you did became magic. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's... I don't know how to explain it, but there's certain times, at least for me, where the game felt slower. Um, you know, that playoff run was one. I went through some stretches there in Jersey, you know, a few years later where we had some good years and um, the game feels slower. You're, you're dialed in. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's able to uh, deflect all the distractions. You know, you talk about Joe getting hurt. You talk about Mike Rupp coming in. You know, I, the Boston series, I played with Pando and uh, and John Madden on a, a checking line against Thornton's line. You know, that there, there was always something moving, but I don't remember ever thinking about it, worrying about it. It, it didn't matter. And, and I think those are the teams they usually win. Um, you know, this pandemic has given me a, I watched uh, I watched Game Seven for the the first time this year uh, ever uh, with with my with my middle child. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, you were actually okay, you were a hockey player one time." So <laughs> that, that was that was kind of fun. But um, you know, I, there's things you don't recall that happened. Uh, you know, like in it, it was because of uh, I think you're just dialed into playing. You're not worried about Joe Newdike. Your your center is not playing. Well, Mike Rupp, a guy you barely knew who he was comes in and scores the game winner and Jeff Friesen who was on ready to was on suicide watch after losing in Anaheim because he had played there you know comes and scores two goals in game seven you know these are the things that at the time you're you know it's affecting you but you know I think the dialed in part just you're just you're just there what was that like watching that game for the first time <laughs> And what did you maybe notice that you didn't remember? Um, I, I didn't remember how close some of the, or it's how close that game was for a while. Um, <laughs> I remember the three nothing, but you know, the, Marty made some huge saves there uh, early that, that that kept it that way. Um, you know, the 
I didn't remember. I, I didn't remember that our line scored all three of the goals. Um, <laughs> Um, I did remember on the first goal that in today's game, I probably would have got goal interference because I, I definitely intentionally slashed Jaguar's stick. But at that time, you could definitely do that. So, you know, there's some of those those things. Um, and I also realized I may have ended Scotty's uh, career when I jumped into his arms when he won and absolutely buried him. It was the hardest hit he's taken in his career, I think. So uh, I'll make sure to let him know that. I, I didn't remember that I did that to him. So, but... <laughs> I, I think the I think the watching of it, uh, you know, it, it brought back chills that I that I hadn't had, and the, you know, it was it was really enjoyable to watch the on ice celebration, um, watch some of the guys their reactions, you know, the the Jimmy McKenzies of the world, the Turner Stevensons, you know, the guys that had played for a while that, you know, really had sacrificed a lot uh, physically to, to, to be in those situations, uh, to watch them finally get that opportunity. Um, watching Dano again, uh, knowing now that it was his last game, uh, maybe aware at the time that it was, but not really. Um, and the other one for me was watching Nieder's, uh, Nieder's eyes. Uh, you know, I know how much he struggled with that series and, and beating his brother and, uh, seeing the the joy and also the the sadness at the same time that he that he was going through at that time so you know it's it's just pretty cool uh pretty cool to go back and watch I, I don't know why I waited this long to do it but uh it, it was it was neat to watch all it took was a pandemic and uh <laughs> you had some time and and you sit down what was your relationship with Pat Burns uh, I had a great uh, relationship with Pat Burns um you know I think I was his type of player, so it uh, that helps. Um, I will. I'll give a quick Pat Burns story. Uh, we're in training. We're just ready to start training camp. Um, my wife is back in Dallas at the time, with uh, pregnant with Mason, or I didn't know it was Mason at the time, but I was pregnant with our third child, and I had gotten permission from Lou to to leave for a couple of days to go back for the birth. We in, we induced her, and I go up to Pat, and I'm. I'm Telling him, you know, hey, uh, I got to go to uh, what's do. I got to take off here tomorrow. I just wanted to let you know I'm not going to be at practice. And he looks at me and goes, "Who are you?" And uh, he's like, "Oh, oh, shit, I better get back here. I'm in trouble for making this team." So, so you know, that was just Burnsy, though. You know, he he just said it as he was, and you know, like he was a he was a perfect coach for us uh, at that time. Um, hard but it, it was it was all fake in my opinion he had, he had the biggest heart in the, in the world and wanted the most for his players and just uh, that was his way of pushing you and that that fit perfectly into into what I was used to and what I liked as a, as a coach I, had, uh, I absolutely loved the guy on that same note, I mean, what was your relationship like with Lou? You know, for me, you know, I'm young. I'm only in my early 30s, well, mid 30s now. So my vision of him is always. Uh, Amanda, it sneaks up on you. Be careful. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had always had this vision of him, you know, running the New Jersey Devils, you know, Everything had to be in order. No facial hair. What was like your first interaction with Lou? 
Well, it, it's well, my first ever interaction was uh, in 98. He was the GM of the U.S. team, and uh, he brought me over as a, a replacement guy for uh, Sean McEachern had gotten hurt uh, in the Olympics in the first game, and he had called me and asked me to, to come over for, for the Olympics. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child at that time and <laughs> really, really pregnant. Uh, the Olympics are in beginning of February and uh, she was nine months pregnant at the time doing, wow. do, do like the 15th of February. So I uh, said, I, I have to talk to her first. Um, I can't just say yes. Like this is a little bit of an extenuating circumstance for that. And I asked her and she said, uh, that's the Olympics. You go, I'll be all right. So I got on a plane uh, about two hours later, and that was my first interaction with Lou. But as a, when I got traded there, um, you know, the, you talk about facial hair and the dressing. We were coming back from Philadelphia, and we parked in the back at South Mountain. I'm, I think, 12 feet away from my car where the bus was parked. My tie was not done up all the way. i walking off the bus, and he stops me and do your tie up and my mind I'm going my car is right there there's not another person in this vicinity and you want me to do my tie up but you know that's the attention to detail that he uh he um demanded and I respected um you know it, it did take some getting used to the I used to tape my shin pads a different way and I had to <laughs> relearn how to tape my shin pads <laughs> Uh, I couldn't really grow facial hair, so that was never really an issue. So I, I didn't really worry about that one. Um, but you know, you, you get you get used to it, and it it, it actually makes things simple. You don't have to really think about what you got to do. You know what the rules are, and uh, you, you 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 go accordingly. So um, nothing that ever really bothered me in in that regard. And I think for all players that we talk to, because. From the outside, people go, oh, my goodness, it had to be hard and re no fun to play there. And, yeah, Lou had a demeanor that it's about the game, man. Like, we're here to win 82 games, <laughs> and then we're going to win 16 more in the playoffs. There was, there was nothing more or less on his mind than that. But the point is, from a player standpoint, that's what you want. Like, I think that's what all players have come to realize. Some embraced it early on, others in retrospect a little bit more. But – when that guy is as into us winning and gives us every tool to win, how can you complain about tightening your tie, even though you're 12 feet from your car? <laughs> kind of crazy, I know, but his devotion to winning, he would do anything. He would do anything to help the team win. And that's what you want. It, it is what you want. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, a GM before in Dallas, uh, in, in Bob Gainey that, that had a similar mentality, a little different of a approach. He had a, a little looser in some of those things, but it was the same mentality. What player do we need? What, what do we need to be good? And, and there's a reason that those guys are successful, right? Like there's a reason certain people are, you do have to get everybody on the same page. What, what that page is, I'm not a big believer that that really matters. So you just need to all be on the same page to, to give yourself a chance because um, this league is very, very hard and, you know, any little detail or any little edge you can get, uh, he was looking for, um, you know, I, I was joking with, uh, Jay Leach, who was our, our assistant coach in, in Providence the other day that, uh, 
I, I bet you the NHL consulted with Lou on this bubble thing because he's been doing it for his, his whole entire career is creating this <laughs> bubble. So <laughs> not an issue at all. That's really funny. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, there's so many points of your devil's time we could talk about. I mean, the the most wins uh, in. 2008 2009 most in in franchise history unfortunately that ended uh way too early against carolina we could talk about a lot of other things but i do want to talk about a few zz pops uh how magical and wonderful was that people talk about the a line and i think that was the best line in devil's history you can argue with me jamie i'll I'll certainly uh allow you plenty of time to do that but zz pops zach parisi travis ajak jamie langenbrunner we're right there. I mean, Crash Line had a better name, maybe, but wow, when you guys got together, it was special. What what was that all about? Uh, chemistry, I think, was what that was about. We truly enjoyed uh, playing together every single day. Um, practice, games. Uh, we brought Pando in for the card games at night, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we were together a lot. Um, and I think we just complimented each other a lot. We, we thought the game the same way. Uh, we were trying to accomplish the same thing. So, you know, I, for me, it was two young kids with a, a ton of energy and a, a ton of love for the game. And, you know, I, I think they, they helped rejuvenate me a little bit uh, at that time. Um, got me excited to play again every day. Um, got me working, working harder on my game to, to try to stay up with them. Um, but it, it was, it was just a lot, it was a lot of fun. And I, I won't argue with you, the A-line won a Stanley cup, so they get to, they get to go ahead of us by, by for sure. So, but, uh, it was, it was a, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to be a part of, um, you know, I haven't stayed as close with, uh, with Travis, but Zach and I see each other each other a lot still so um you know it's uh it's a a special time for me and uh you know it was a it was a time when you know we we, we played some good hockey for for a good stretch there now are uh, you, you minnesota oh, sorry maddie i was gonna say are you were you okay with the zz pops line in terms of the name like how did you feel about the name <laughs> oh i was i was never thrilled about that but uh <laughs> I don't know if, if you've paid any attention to who Zach's playing with right now in Minnesota, but it has come full circle. He is now pops with uh, Luke Cunning and uh, Erickson X. So he will be hearing a lot about that coming forward. I'm kind of I'm <laughs> deciding if I want to do it today after a loss last night, but uh, I, I think I'm going to. So no, it's uh, <laughs> it was something, it was what it was, right? I, w- I was the old guy, so <laughs> I, you know. I didn't mean uh, to bring it up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just turned 45 here not too long ago. So it does creep up really quickly on you. <laughs> it does. And it, and it did then because those two guys were basically in the first couple of years of their careers. And uh, you weren't near the end at that point, but you were moving along and already had the two cups under your belt. And uh, at the end of that run with ZZ Pops, you were also an Olympian again uh, in a much more prominent role than in 98 in Nagano. You were the captain. And I remember, wasn't it, weren't you and Zach named to that team while we were in Minnesota? I think we played Chicago on New Year's Eve, and then we traveled an off day to Minnesota. And wasn't it in your home state that you got named to the team and then subsequently named captain? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. Um, you know, we had landed, uh, 
late that night, uh, like I said, New Year's Eve, um, Lou walked up to me as I'm walking on the elevator there at the St. Paul Hotel and said, uh, get some good sleep. Tomorrow's going to be a good day for you. And I, and I was like, huh? I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought, well, we're in Minnesota. I don't know, something. I, I, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I, I had played in the Olympics 12 years before. I'd been passed over uh, to two other teams. So I, I thought my time it was kind of done with USA Hockey. I guess I played in the World Cup, but you know, I, I thought my time was done with them. So it was it was a big surprise. And then to be named uh, captain on top of that, uh, you know, I still remember that call from, from Ron Wilson uh, in my basement uh, at my house there and playing knee hockey with my kids and uh so that those were that was a time uh, that was definitely surprising and uh was uh, quite the experience what's it like for a professional athlete to go into you know a place like an olympic village where you have all these other athletes who have worked in a very different way in a sense because they're not getting the same you know money and you know accolades unless it's really the Olympic time. What, what is that experience like? Uh, the Olympic experience is phenomenal. Um, you know, I can understand why the players want to go so, so badly and uh, why it's been a, you know, a, a battle part in the CBA for some reason, but uh, it, it's a, it's an amazing 12 days or 14 days or, or whatever it is. Like you said, you're in the, you're in this village of all these different athletes and, you know, part of what I enjoyed the most about Vancouver beyond playing the games was they had each country had their own house and you had this common area and, and hanging out with the other athletes, whether it was the, you know, the figure skaters or the, the, uh, the curlers or whoever, whoever was there, you had this common area where you were getting to know them, uh, spending some time with them. Uh, and then, you know, you walk into this, this cafeteria and you have all these countries sitting together and, it's just a it's a unique experience that you know I was fortunate enough to do it twice. Ninety eight kind of came as a blur and quickly, and um, you know I don't think I appreciated it as nearly as much as I did in two thousand ten, where you know I I got to have my family there and they they all got to experience it. The kids got to go to all these games and and, and be a part of the Olympics, and uh, and then for us to have. Uh, you know, a, a pretty good level of success, not not quite accomplishing our, our goal we've set out, but, you know, putting on a, a really good show and being, a, you know, a team that uh, obviously surprised some teams. What was that gold medal game like when you're in Canada with a Canada-heavy crowd playing against Canada? I'm Canadian, so... Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, what was that atmosphere like? And had it ever been topped before? Um, well, we can talk about the first game where we beat Canada first. But okay, we, okay. Everyone, everyone, everyone wants to talk about the one that Canada won. No, <laughs> um, no it, it was an unbelievable experience, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I, I think when you're in the village you similar to what these guys are going through now you're you were in a bit of a bubble like i wasn't really paying i wasn't yeah. i'm not a, i was playing for the devils i wasn't a social media guy i had no idea what was going on around the the rest of the world and how big um the hockey was at that time you know the the millions of people that were watching those games and how how big it was like you didn't realize it while you were there so 
I think that helped not to make the situation yeah. too too big, to be honest with you. Uh, USA Hockey did a phenomenal job of keeping us occupied uh, without overbearing us. You know, we went to a few of the other events. We, we did some of that stuff. But the game itself, um, it, it, it was uh, an experience, I mean, similar to a Game 7 of a Stanley Cup, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess. Um, um, just because of the a road game <laughs> like you, you were yeah. you were it, it was a tough atmosphere and uh the sound of silence when uh, zach scored the tying goal was uh was was pretty amazing and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'll admit I, we went into that locker room thinking we were gonna win um you know obviously uh sid had different ideas but uh you know uh we we played well and uh we our team had a had a, had a good tournament uh despite being a, probably on paper a little overmatched. You had the assist on Zach's goal and assist on Zach's goal. Take us through that play, the high of that. Now you go into the room, 25 seconds left in the third period. You go into the room for overtime. Hey, you think you're going to win. And then if you can, contrast it, because you were also on the ice when Sid scored, like, wow, mountaintop and valley in such a short period of time, relative short period of time. Yeah, um, we've... I think Zach and I have talked about this. If, if we would have scored with 50 seconds left, uh, I think we win the game in regulation. Like the way we had stunned them, they were, they were in trouble. Um, I think that break really, really helped them um, get recentered. Uh, I think uh, there's a play early on. Um, Timmy Gleason had a chance to send me in on a break and it just got deflected. He's actually, I, he works in player development for Carolina. I've seen him and he's made mention of that. That pass could have connected. Who knows? You know, like there's some of that, but you know, I, I don't think we knew at the time how good Sidney Crosby was, was yet. We, we were, we were scratching that surface, right? Like, and uh, we saw it, a guy that then when the game is on the line in the biggest situations, uh, he usually rises to the occasion and, uh, you know, Ryan Miller had an unbelievable tournament and he found a way to, to slide one through. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that goal and I think Patrick Kane's the goal in the Stanley cup final that year were pretty much the same goal. So it's, uh, it's crazy. The two biggest events of, of the hockey calendar kind of ended on the, on a very similar goal. So I wonder if, I wonder if Pat, Patty, uh, learned at watching that one. You know, that was kind of his <laughs> the kind of start to, to Patty Kane, too. So, you know, it, it was fun for me to be involved with that that group of USA Hockey. You know, I, I'd been part of the old guard with the, the Kachucks and the Madonos and the, the Brian Leeches and stuff. And then, uh, you know, to to get a chance to be a part of that that next that next wave with with Patty and, the, and his crew. That's, you know, going to be a, a fun group to watch in 2022. And outside of the Miracle on Ice, that 2010 was it, man. I mean, everyone was glued to their seats. It was a different world than 80, tape delayed, all that sort of stuff. But we understand the magnitude of that victory by Team USA. But with the NHL now going to the games um, in Vancouver, the development of great young hockey players, veterans like yourself, man, I remember sitting there just – elated and devastated, but it elevated the game in the States even more. No question about it. Yeah, we went to, uh, we went to San Jose right from Vancouver. We were, we were playing there and 
I remember that, by the way, not to interrupt you. And then they were bringing out all their gold medal winners. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> yeah, I that was, hated that. Was that. Phenomenal. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, you they were parading them things. all out. <laughs> yes. But we were, uh, we were out at a restaurant uh, a couple nights before and we ran into whatever some people just talking about how and the guys that were our team had been out there for a few days and they were out at whatever a bar watching and talking about the number of people that were in San Jose watching this game where it's you know some of these non-traditional hockey markets and how important it was and how big it was 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 interesting because like I said we were kind of in this bubble not really paying attention that how many people were actually tuned in like you said who was the toughest goaltender you ever faced uh, well, I'll just say Marty because I had to face him in practice all the time. It's fair, um, fair. <laughs> no, I, I mean Marty is definitely up there because of his compete. Like his his competitiveness in practice uh, to me was was second to none that I've ever played with. Um, he didn't like to get scored on, and there was nothing better than scoring on Marty in practice and maybe celebrating a little bit. I I tended to, <laughs> I tended to do that once in a while and. The best way to score on him is to fan on the shot because he reads it so well off your stick that ones you fan on are the are the ones that are going in because he sees it so well. So I said, "How do you do not intentionally fan?" And but that was that was that was always my plan. But I, I would say Marty was one of one of, was one of the toughest. By the way, Liz was not pregnant in 2010. That seems to be a part of a lot of your <laughs> hockey history, though, right? <laughs> it does. No, thank, thankfully not. No, uh, um, so we were uh, we were on the on the downswing from that. So, <laughs> well, I, I kind of knew that just having some fun because it always seemed to play a role. I know. I know. Amanda's got a couple of questions about one of your children in particular, but they're all successful in their own right. I mean, you've got a uh, a daughter who's uh, just, I guess, just graduated from BC. Yep, my uh, yeah, daughter Lane, a musician. Yeah, my daughter Lane just graduated from Boston College. Uh, she's entering the work world in uh, probably a little bit of a difficult time, but uh, <laughs> she's she's finding her way, and uh, you know we're obviously proud of her and glad that she got to kind of go to her dream school that's where she she kind of considers herself more of an east coaster and you know jersey was really home to her and uh you know probably well land into you know the musician uh his group the the waves has released like 10 12 songs and like, he's pretty good uh i didn't know he had it uh, we all thought he was going to be a hockey player and probably could have been if he, he wanted to but his his passion you know landed in music and uh it's been fun watching him uh, on that journey and you know as he continues to kind of sort that out and then uh the youngest one has followed a little bit more in dad's footsteps uh chasing the chasing the hockey dream so your son mason he is draft eligible right yep um he is and you know he's he's working hard at his game and, and getting better every day and uh you know we'll eventually uh head to harvard to, to go to school and and we'll see you know he has he definitely has aspirations of, of trying to play professionally and we'll we'll see where we'll see where that goes you know, it's, what's uh, it what's it like watching your son you know chase after a similar dream that that you chased after it's been uh i'd say it's been a lot of fun um I'd say it's it's had its challenges. You know, I think yep. I'm probably a, a bit of a harsh critic at time. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I 
10, 10 days ago or so. I was in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, where he was at uh, camp for uh, USHL camp. And uh, Joe Noondike's son, Jackson, is also there playing for nice. that team. So, so him and I got to sit there together and, and watch our watch our sons play and kind of kind of laugh at it. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I get a lot of enjoyment and watch him play. And, uh, you know, he's doing a he's doing a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, it's, has has accomplished some things. Uh, his team lost in the state championship game. So he, he's, he's gotten to places further than I did at his age. So, <laughs> you know, he's a he's a good player and uh, he has a he has a bright future ahead of him. What was that like sitting with Joe watching your kids play? <laughs> what, are, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you know, we try not to, to be too critical of them. You know, I think we, <laughs> we, we watch the game a little uh, different when we watch them. Uh, where it's probably better if I just watch uh, Jackson, he watches Mason and, uh, you know, give the feedback that way. Because I think I pick on things that uh, he, he doesn't need to worry about. And uh, I think the same goes with Joe. So. You know, but it's 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 a lot of fun, and uh, you know we have we have pictures of the two of them when we got traded to New Jersey. We actually lived together in New Jersey, and they're in the crib with their New Jersey uh, Devil jerseys on, and uh, you know, and then we have pictures of them together uh, for the Sioux City Musketeers. So you know, we've we've watched this whole progression, and it's kind of nice. So it's come full circle. There have been so many positives for you in this game. I know you've taken an awful lot out of it, but I, I do want to just ask briefly about the way things ended with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, uh, it ended in an abrupt and kind of rough manner, no question about it. Um, uh, late in, I'm trying to think, it was 2010, I guess, you were benched and there were some issues. And Can you just kind of, kind of clear up? And then eventually you were traded less than a half year later uh, when the re- season resumed. Uh, what happened there? Um, well, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think coming off of the, uh, the Olympics, um, you know, if I'm being honest, like I, I, I think my game dropped a little bit coming off there, whether that was mental fatigue, physical fatigue, I, I don't know. I, I didn't recognize it. I took it as a, as a slight from, from uh from jock at the time that that uh um i don't know that there was a conflict of, of personality there but uh you know we had we had just traded for for Kobe. um obviously they were start we were up against it uh from a cap standpoint um i was on a last year of my deal and you know, I, I think in September, Lou had come to me and asked uh, if I'd be willing to, to get moved. And the timing of it in September with my family and my kids in school was uh, was a hard no. Um, you know, I, that was the one thing I had gotten in my last contract. You know, I had taken I had taken less money and to stay there because uh, that was home, and we were, you know, it was a different time in the cap cap world uh, of going in there and. You know, I I, get, I got some security in the five years and the and the no move, and you know I had said no, and it was a difficult uh, start to that year. You know, our team struggled. Uh, we we couldn't get out of our own way, um, and and I wasn't playing well. And I think I'd always consider myself a a loyal team first guy, and and I took offense to uh, what had happened um, because you know I felt I had 
given something up to stay and uh, that I don't want to say the game owed me, but uh, that, you know, I should have been allowed to work my way through it. So I did handle it great. Uh, I mean, if I'm being honest, I, I don't think the team handled it great. If, you know, if, that, if they wanted to move me, they should have done it in the summer and give me a, give me an opportunity to move my family. And so there, there was definitely a lot of animosity for me when I, when I left uh, against it. I, I struggled with that and, you know, I wish I would have handled it better. Yeah. Um, but in the time I, you know, I, I was dealing with what I was dealing with and, uh, it's always difficult as, a as a career starts to wind down and your role becomes less. Um, I think I was okay with that. Um, but, uh, what I felt was, I don't want to say a <laughs> disrespectful or, or a blatant lie of, of what, was promised to me when I when I signed my five year deal was was kind of frustrating at the time. So, no, it it, it is what it is now. Um, I, I try to remember the the good years and there was there was a lot of them, but the the last the last six months were definitely difficult in a in a place that I honestly believed I, we were going to live there forever. So it it, it, it was tough. Uh, Jacques left after that 2010 season johnny mack you talked about the troubles and the team did struggle and eventually he was let go replaced by shot is that when you knew this is not going to work out anymore like the guy who benched me in april is now back we're not going well uh, it's time yeah i don't think the uh, i don't think the benching me was was an issue maddie so much as the way it was done um you know, I felt it was dishonestly done. You know, he said he was benching me to give me rest, yet they brought me on a one-game trip to Carolina to sit there. Like, they tried to take the C off my jersey during that game. Um, I remember Colin White freaking losing his mind on him, and that, that's not the way you do it. So, you know, I, I think it was the way it was done that I that really hurt more than more than anything. You know, I guys get benched I, i'd been benched before I'd, I'd not played games that that's not the that's not the issue but uh, i i believe there's a certain way you treat people and uh you know i i, I felt in that situation i hadn't done anything deserved to, to to be treated that way and and i struggled with it and you know that's that's on me for letting it affect things and uh you know affecting the way i played and, and hurting my career instead of figuring a way to to, to get by it and and go but uh you know, you, you do what you do in the time. And, uh, you know, I, in retrospect, sure, I'd like to do something different. But I didn't at the time, and uh, I'm okay with it now. At what point do you reconcile that with yourself? Was it, like, after your career? Or, <laughs> like, at, at what point do you sort of sit with it and you say, you know, I'm okay with it now? Like, what? at what point do you get there? 2018? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow no, afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After I get done with this call and yeah, no. <laughs> have to digest what you just said. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think it comes uh, with time. Um, it, it's come with being on this side of uh, of the game a little bit and right. seeing what what goes into all these decisions. You know, uh, I think as a player, you think. There's not a whole lot of thought that goes into some decisions and, and now being here, the amount of effort and time that guys go into to, to make the, the simplest of decisions, uh, you know, I have a lot more respect for that now. So I, I think that's part of it. I think it's maybe a growing up of me. Uh, you know, I, I, I think sometimes as a, 
as a player, we are immature in our to a degree for sure. And you know, I think post career, I've grown up a lot. Um, you know, make better decisions and, and handle things better. Maybe not take things personally. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think as a hockey player, we, we identify ourselves as that sometimes and anything against that, uh, is thought of as a personal, personal shot. And it's not, it's a, it's a career and a business thing that guys have to make decisions on. And, uh, you know, you can like the person and not like them as a player at that time. And it's, it, you know, it's not a indication of who they are, but I, I think at that time I, I definitely took that as who I was and took a lot of offense to that. So, you know, it's it's just a, a maturing process, and you know it's unfortunate, like I said, that it that it ended that way because I I did have so many fantastic memories there and so many good friends. I mean, my son Landon goes back to New Jersey every single summer to to hang out with his buddies, and <laughs> you know it's it's a place that's uh, my my youngest brother still lives there. He he came out to visit and. Started dating our ba- started dating our babysitter and got married and they have kids and live there now. So amazing! Oh uh, no, yeah, it's amazing, all right. So, well, wait, now I definitely have questions. Now is yeah. when the real podcast starts. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great story. You know, we're, he he comes out to visit from after finishing school and and never left. Like it was, it's uh, it was it was crazy. And then one day we're sitting at our kitchen table and. Our babysitter goes to leave and she goes, Matt, you want to come with me? And from that on, they were, they were dating and now they're married with kids. So living in, uh, that's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's great. So, um, you know, there, it's a, it's a happy place for me. And, uh, you know, are there some, some sad moments and some, some difficult times? Yeah. Well, of course. And uh, I don't think many people, get to do the, the Ken Danico and uh, <laughs> right, right off uh, with the Stanley cup in their arms and uh, you know, have all, all great memories. And I mean, even, even Dano had to, had to deal with that because you know, he wasn't playing before that and his, his things with, with, uh, with Burnsy. So, you know, everybody goes through it and heck Marty Brodeur didn't end as the New Jersey devil. So it's <laughs> like, let's not, let's not it, kid ourselves. It's a, it's an odd yeah. game sometimes. So it, it is. And, um, it's it's life in many ways. Uh, fairy tales don't often come true, but life is uh, full of wonderful memories and times. And obviously, you shared a lot of them with us today about your time in New Jersey. Last from me, and maybe Amanda's got a follow up. So, eleven hundred plus games, two cups, Olympics, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, your son says, "Dad, I guess you were pretty good after you sit down and watch <laughs> his game seven with you." Um, what what what's the hockey? trail been for Jamie Langenbrunner? What's it been all about? Ah, wow. That's a fantastic question. Um, Unexpected. uh, And it started right away. You know, I, growing up in in Minnesota, Maddie, you, you play high school hockey, you go to college and maybe you're fortunate enough to uh, try to play pro. I mean, that was, that was my, my thought. Um, I finished my junior high school get drafted and I sign in and I'm gone. I'm not playing my senior year. I'm not going to college. Like unexpected. I'm living in Peterborough, Ontario. I I had no idea where Peterborough, Ontario was like, this is, this is the beginning of the unexpected. And then, uh, you know, you, you, you start your career. You got a guy by the name of Ken Hitchcock as your coach in in Kalamazoo. You, You play in Dallas. He's there. You 
sign with St. Louis, Daniel Kier and Ken Hitchcock comes back, you know, the, 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 the circles of it, um, you know, the, the great, the great friendships, you know, uh, very fortunate early in my career. Like I've said a million times, Joe Newendike gets traded to the, to the Dallas stars and who knows that that would be, you know, one of my, my greatest friends. Um, that's, friendships jay pandolfo okay i played with for nine years in 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 new jersey you know calls to i I want you to come work with me in in boston and now i am in a new career that i I enjoy so much so you know i remember those things um because you know the games were the games were phenomenal like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend it wasn't the you don't get to duplicate that in, in anything in life. You know, I mean, I may try to on the golf course or may try to in, in certain <laughs> spots, but you don't get to duplicate that, but it's those, those moments in the, in the locker room that are, that are so amazing. And I have a picture of uh, Turner Stevenson, myself and my son Landon sitting in my lap in the lounge after we won the cup, I'm still in my gear and Landon sitting there staring up at me and you know like we had just accomplished you know the ultimate goal and that feeling of just being there together and and, and doing that is is awesome and uh you know we you know wasn't in jersey but in dallas i mean i remember after we win we're in the locker room you know the big celebration in there and i remember Guy Carbono, who had been through it a number of times said all right anybody that's not a player on this team you need to get out of here for the next whatever stretch and we sat in that locker room for the next 40 minutes and had a scar and a beer and just reminisced together. Cause he knew that after that moment, we would never all be together again and never have that opportunity. So I remember those things, you know, I would say some of the goals and the, some of the great times, but it's a, it's a, it's a relationship thing. And, you know, I, I get to see Lou out on the road. I, I see Doug Armstrong, two guys that have traded me, but um, you know, I respect uh, of, of the utmost, and you know, some of the some of the players that you've got to play with, and it's a it's a pretty special game, and uh, it, it's such a small circle game. Like the the ties are are so close, and uh, you know, it's it's phenomenal to to be associated with it, and to still have that opportunity today. I don't think there's a better way to close out this podcast. What do you say, Maddie? <laughs> uh, I agree a hundred percent. A beautiful note uh, to conclude things on. And Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I loved watching you play. I'm sorry that our paths don't cross as frequently as they did back in the day, but it was good to see you in buff. And hopefully when we resume, we'll, we'll see each other again along the way. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, of course, Maddie. And uh, can't wait to see you in the rink again. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're going in December, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I cannot wait. Thanks, Jamie. All right. Jamie Langenbrunner joining us on our Speak of the Devils podcast. And Amanda, I know you weren't around, but boy, it was a dynamic time in Devils history, starting with that cup in 2003, which was the extension of 95. But as Jamie mentioned, just continuing for that run in the playoffs and just uh, just a magical time in Devils history. He played a big part as a captain. I may not have been around, but I was... Growing up in Montreal, a Montreal Canadiens fan, and I knew every time the Devils came in that building, it was a complete disaster for the home team. (laughs) Marty Brodeur elevated in Montreal. There's no question about it. He was not going to be embarrassed in his hometown, but the entire team rose to the occasion on so many uh, occasions, and it was just a, a magical time. At any rate, that'll wrap things up. 
on this edition of Speak of the Devil. Special thanks to Jamie Langenbrenner for Amanda Stein. I'm Matt Lachlan. Be well, everyone. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.